I'm Alan Franks, founder of the Mill Financial Partners, and if this is your first time joining us, I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Frankly Financial, a podcast fully focused on helping you live your fullest life through sound financial planning. Throughout this series of podcasts, we will attempt to cover anything and everything related to personal finances in hopes of helping you get every single dollar working in unison towards your unique life goals. If you find this helpful and interesting, please click subscribe, leave us a good review, and remember that you can find more resources on our website, themailfp.com. Lastly, if you think you would benefit from a more one-on-one approach to your finances, please do not hesitate to visit our website and use our scheduling link to set up your initial complimentary consultation. Without further ado, let's dive in to this week's podcast. Hey everyone, it's Alan here, and this week and really this month, we are discussing the importance of cash flow management. And this podcast in particular, we're going to give you four tips that you can start doing immediately to help you with your cash flow management. And we're also going to share some real life stories here of uh, some of the things that I've seen, some of the things that I've seen work, some of the things that I've seen that have not worked over my 10 year financial planning career. And there really isn't a better time to be discussing cash flow management because we are coming off of one of the biggest budget experiments of of all time. And we'll call this quarantine, um, where we're finding that, uh, you know, a lot of us are finding we can get along just fine without a lot of these trips that we were going to go on, these events that we were going to go to, these dinners out that we got accustomed to. And in general, just the hustle and bustle of life and how expensive that hustle and bustle can be sometimes, we're finding that maybe, hey, maybe a slower, simpler lifestyle uh, isn't as bad as we initially thought. Now, I I know some of you are out there just dying to get out and uh, you're thinking, man, this guy's crazy. I can't wait to go out to a nice dinner. And and certainly a lot of us are in that same boat here. But hopefully we found that, hey, we can get along just fine without spending a ton of money. And and what we're finding, though, is that quarantine, you know, has really brought out the best and the worst in people in general. You know, if you were, I always joke around, if if you were a bad person at the start of quarantine, you you probably showed your true colors at some point with uh, either just losing your mind or going irate on somebody um, or posting a dumb social media post that started a, you know, a Facebook war or something like that. And, and on the flip side, if you were a good person before quarantine, you, you probably have found ways to improve yourself. And you probably became a better person and cared for others and volunteered um, and, and did what you could and did your part during quarantine. And what we found is that the same exact thing is happening with saving money, is that uh, good savers have just really taken this opportunity to save a ton of money. And bad spenders, they either came out neutral like they usually do, or they got really bored and made some impulse decisions. And next thing you know, the backyard's got to be completely redone. And you've got all these projects that you want to do. And next thing you know, that these these months that should have been the absolute cheapest months of your recent life 
have now become the most expensive months of your life. So, you know, uh, it's amazing how some people, money just does burn a hole in their pocket. Um, but bottom line, though, is what we had a chance to do in quarantine is, and, you know, when I'm filming this, we're still very much into a, in a quarantine-esque environment. Um, but what we're finding is that we actually have time. Uh, to sit down and reflect on our values and what's important and really reflect on this question. Hey, does your money reflect your values? Do If you were to look at your expenses, would they reflect what you actually enjoy? Or are you spending a lot of money on stuff that you don't really care about? And so that's why this is such a great time to be discussing cash flow management. And I recently did a news article on cash flow management. So a lot of stuff that we are talking about today is being pulled from this article. So if you want to kind of dive into this in another medium, then go online to our website and, and look up our cash flow management um, news article and you'll find that maybe a little bit more in depth article on this stuff but uh, you know the article starts where all financial planning starts and it's this idea this equation this equation that revenue minus expenses equals your margin so let me repeat that revenue what you bring in in an after-tax basis minus your expenses what goes out equals your margin and your margin, well, that's where financial planning happens. And we believe that financial planning is where we can make life streams come true. Not to be too cheesy there, but you know that's when I'm sitting down and I'm looking at hiring a client. Um, when we're deciding whether or not we're going to take that client on, we are not necessarily as uh, preoccupied with how much money they have saved up in their 401k. Um, we don't quite care too much about what their income is, really what we're looking at is, hey, what's their margin? Uh, how much are they saving on a monthly basis? Because that's where we can make a difference. That's where we can make an impact as a financial planner is helping people better allocate that excess revenue on a monthly basis. And it's amazing. It's across the board. I've sat down in attorney's offices. Uh, you know, The attorney was making $300,000 and uh, didn't have a nickel to his name after the end of the month. On the other hand, I've sat down with people making $50,000 that are saving like 1000 to 1500 bucks a month. And it's, you know, I've, I've been able to see a lot of different, uh, you know, situations. And what I love and the reason that, you know, we were able to really focus in on the millennial generation so much is that the dual income nature of our world right now is really spiking revenue and it's allowing for some pretty ridiculous margins that are out there for instance we've got some clients you know at the bottom end that are saving thousand dollars to two thousand dollars a month we have some clients that you know are saving on the upward end six to eight thousand dollars a month and it's really amazing how people some people are just really good at keeping their expenses down and saving a good amount of money each month. Now, each person is in a different scenario. So when we take on a client, the first thing that we do is we focus in on this cash flow management and seeing if we can find ways to increase that margin. Because once again, if we can increase the margin, we can increase the amount of money that we can reallocate towards reaching their unique goals. And so 
when we are doing that, we, we do it in kind of a four-step process. And before we hop into this four-step process, I want to first uh, you know, really emphasize how important cash flow management is and will always be. And I think that we've got this illusion that, hey, once we're rich, we don't have to worry about cash flow management. And, and that is an illusion. That is an illusion because the truth is the more money you have and the more money you make, it's kind of like you know having a bigger boat. There's just a chance for more leaks. The more money you have, the more money you make, the more money will leak. And so the people who have the biggest businesses, who've got the biggest payrolls, they need to monitor their cash flow the most because they are the most prone to having leaks in their budget. When we take on somebody who's really struggling on a month-to-month basis, their budgets are typically pretty good. They tend to know exactly where things are going. But when we take people who have huge excesses in their budget, those are the people that are spending money almost a little willy-nilly and, and have really kind of lost sight of making certain that their money is going to reflect what their value set uh, is, right? So no matter how poor or how rich you are, this podcast hopefully uh, in this four-step process we're about to go through is hopefully going to be helpful for you. Um, so step one, uh, when you know when we look at the formula of revenue minus expenses, equals margin, I think it's important to understand that it starts with revenue. Yes, we're going to spend the next three steps on budgeting, but let's spend the first step on revenue. And and I want to challenge you here today to ask yourself this question. What is the one thing that you can start doing right now to help increase the revenue in your life long term? Because the the second question I want to challenge you with is, when's the last time you asked yourself for a raise? Because we tend to get paid what we think that we are worth. But when's the last time that you asked yourself for a raise? Now, these raises can come in in many different, uh, you know, they can look a lot different to a lot of people. It may be you doing something as simple as showing up 30 minutes early every single day to jockey for that promotion that you really want that's coming up at the end of the year. It could be that you spend an hour at night studying for a test that'll give you another designation behind your name that'll make you more marketable. Um, It it could be something as big as going back and getting a graduate degree or maybe even something as big as looking at different companies to make a career switch. if you're in sales, it could be something as simple as making five extra dollars a day or just being a little bit more intentional with your time. If you are a business owner, it might be something as simple as laying off maybe a bad employee to reduce you know, your expenses or adding a new product line that would increase your revenue. So obviously, if you are a business owner or a salesperson, increasing revenue is a little bit simpler. There's a little bit, you you feel like you have more autonomy over how much revenue you bring in. If you're a traditional W-2 employee, then that's a little bit different. And, um, you know, for instance, one client that I have, uh, she was really gifted in arts and crafts and she started uh, an Etsy store. And first of all, just did it on the side. And then next thing you know, 
she was getting so much traction from the Etsy store that it was starting to bring in more income than her actual job. And she actually had to leave her job to keep up with the demand of the Etsy store. So that's just an additional way that you can think about adding revenue is if you've got a unique talent or a skill set that other people want, then you can kind of start a side gig and, and shoot that side gig, maybe even become a main gig at some point. But what's good about side gigs are that anything that you make in a side gig is really kind of like icing on top of the cake, right? So we're gonna build a cake based on your income through your main job. And so if you're able to bring in a couple extra grand each month from a side gig, well, that's, shoot, that's a couple extra grand of icing on top of the cake that we can allocate, obviously, of course, some for fun, but also some for your financial goals here. Now, one thing I did not mention here is doing something like going and driving for a rideshare company. You know, uh, I personally don't like side gigs that do not add to your current profession or do not allow you to express some sort of artistic uh, gift that you have. Basically, if you don't enjoy it, I don't know that I would recommend doing it if it's not adding to your career. Because I think what you find is that that's a short-term cash flow increase. You're not going to be driving for a ride share for a long-term period of time. Um, so it, it's that's more of a short-term fix. And I, I want to focus in on, hey, what can we start doing today that could help you increase your revenue long-term and indefinitely? For instance, once you get a designation behind your name by passing a, a test, then after that, you know, it's always with you. And that's always going to make you more marketable. And I've got one friend um, who's an actuary who literally spent so much time in his early 20s studying to get designation after designation after designation has really created a nice career for himself and for his family. Um, they'll be benefiting from that period, that five-year period where he woke up at 5 a.m. to study and, you know, studied from 5 to 8 you know, then went to work and then got back from work and studied from eight to 10 every single night. And his family will be benefiting from that forever, right? As long as he's, as long as he's working. So, um, so a couple examples of driving revenue that I want to give, and I've got to change the names y'all, uh, to kind of, uh, protect the innocent here, but let's, uh, let's say Jack and Karen. So I started working with Jack and Karen. They were about 26 years old, when I started working with them, and, and Jack was making around forty-five thousand a year. I think Karen was right around sixty thousand, and they both had some student loans. They had accumulated some credit card debt. I bought some nice cars. Had just moved into a new house, and then, of course, you know what comes next, right? Surprise! Uh, they are about to have a baby, and I met them right around this time. And they were reaching out to me to find ways to save more money. And, and at some point, I have to be very direct with them. And I had to tell them that, hey, I don't think you can save your way out of this. And what I mean by that is, you know, your home mortgage is what your home mortgage is. And, and yes, we could possibly refinance sometimes to lower that. But majority of the time, it's kind of set. Yeah, your car payments are kind of are what they are. You know, yes, we could sell your car, but oftentimes people are underwater on their car, so they'd have to bring cash to the closing on this stuff. Yes, we can cut back on some utilities, 
but I mean, we need power. Uh, like life is expensive, y'all. We, you know, we we can't just live like a hermit and and focus solely in on slashing our expenses. So what I told them is, I I said, you know, I I think what well, we we got to earn our way out of this. It's going to be tough to save our way out of it. And so what happened was. Um, Jack actually was in this kind of unique position where he, he was a physical trainer and he was able to get an additional job and really basically doubled his income, brought it up to right around $100,000. And so I know a lot of us don't have the flexibility of doing that, but he was actually able to do that. He had full, two full-time jobs and brought his income up to around the $100,000 area. And Karen is kind of a rock star at work, and her career just really started to skyrocket. And she got raises and promotions, and she went from you know making 65 to 75 to 85 to 100 to 125. I just chatted with her recently. She got a nice, she switched jobs again and uh, got a nice little raise um, to about 145 or so. And so next thing you know, this couple that four years ago when I met them was making a hundred thousand combined you know they're they're close to two hundred fifty thousand dollars combined um and part of that obviously is working longer hours now it's not ideal when somebody has two full-time jobs I've got a couple clients that have two full-time jobs and in both scenarios we're trying to get them out of that second job we want them spending more time with their family working harder and working more hours is not necessarily the best case scenario here Um, but it's really nice when you have to do it Um, and then the second thing is that uh, Karen in this scenario she obviously got promotions but her biggest races came when she switched jobs and the next client I want to kind of highlight is Lucy. Um, Lucy's, you know, just an all-star salesperson. She's in the tech industry. And I was having lunch with Lucy one day and just joking around with her about her LinkedIn. And I said, have you ever noticed on your LinkedIn that you switch jobs every two years like clockwork? And she kind of started laughing, and she did not realize that. It wasn't like she went out and about to try to switch jobs every two years on purpose. But what she found is that you know when she took her name to market, kind of like a baseball player would go to free agency or a football player would go to free agency, what she found is that other teams slash other companies were more willing or were willing to pay her more. And so every couple of years, she'd make a switch. And just like in the example before, they started about 60000 or so out of college and worked his way, worked her way up to eighty six, and then got a nice little boost in the sales world to one twenty five to one seventy five. Next thing you know, he's making a quarter of a million bucks a year. Um, she's making a quarter million dollars a year here. And her strategy was to just switch companies every couple years of years now listen there's some cons to that too yeah you never really get settled you feel like um you know some of the uh if there's any matching in your 401k some of that stuff is not vested um obviously you want to try to you know find some loyalty here but um i tell my clients all the time you know i i ask them this i pose this question do you have more loyalty to your company than your company has to you do you have more loyalty to your company than your company has to you? 
Because unfortunately, sometimes we got to make a shift to get what we're to turn what we're worth. And oftentimes, when we switch companies, we're not talking about a three percent cost of living increase. We're not talking about a ten percent promotional increase. We're talking about a twenty to twenty-five percent increase for doing the same job with a different company. So sometimes you've got to ask your question: How much does loyalty cost? And certainly, there is a price to that because. Uh, my wife, for instance, absolutely loves where she works. Could she make more elsewhere? I'm certain she could. Has she ever thought about it? Not really. Why? Because she loves where she works. She's got a great culture. That company has done her well. That being said, um, that's not always the case. And there's a cost to that loyalty, and so you got to weigh the cost. But anyway, so as we look at step one of asking that question, hey, what is the number one thing that you can start doing right now to increase your revenue? Be, be thinking about the different ways that you can do it. Working harder to get that promotion. Studying harder to get that designation. Taking yourself to, to the free market, to free agency to see if another company is willing to pay you more. Starting your own side gig or your own company. Working, making a few more dials a day to get those sales up. Adding that next product on or whatever it is at your own business to help generate more revenue. Whatever it is, um, there's a lot of opportunities and, and theoretically, we can earn an infinite amount of money. The next three steps we're going to talk about is, is going to be cutting costs and we cannot theoretically cut an infinite amount of costs. There's only so much cost that we can that we can cut. This life is expensive, y'all. So, Let's hop into that. Step one, ask, for your, ask yourself for a raise. Step two, we have to practice mindfulness by tracking our expenses. Now, Will Rogers has an unbelievable quote about this. And, and this was back more in the uh, keeping up with the Joneses generation. But he said, you know, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. So let me ask you, are you spending money you don't have to buy things you don't even want to impress people you don't even like? Now, during that generation, maybe it was more country clubs and washing machines and cars uh, and homes. And, and you might say, well, our generation's not like that. Well, you know, if you're a millennial, you're, you're keeping up with the Joneses is the envy that we have when we get on social media on a Monday morning when we have the case of the Mondays and we go and we see our friend who's got their feet in the Aruba beaches or, you know, who's living in a hut over the water in Tahiti. We look at these awesome pictures. We say, well, I want that. And of course we want that. Who, who wouldn't want that? But just because we don't maybe have keeping up with the Joneses as much as there were, as much as it was in past generations, I, I, I really think it's just kind of changed forms for our generation here. And what I want to do with this first step of, of practicing mindfulness and, and practicing mindfulness Mindfulness is a big term that came out, you know, a couple of years ago. Where it really kind of swept the nation. And, and, and the essence of mindfulness, y'all, is just to be aware of what you're doing in that present moment. I Meaning, if you're meditating, be in that moment. If you're working out, be in that moment. Same exact thing when it comes to spending. Hey, if you're spending money on a really nice dinner, be in that moment. Enjoy that nice dinner. If we are spending a lot of money to go to a concert, 
be in that moment. Enjoy that concert. Where I get frustrated with is when people are spending money and not really even enjoying it. I mean, if you're eating out four or five times a week, at what point are you actually still enjoying it? Is it really a special occasion anymore? Or are you just, at this point, kind of numb to it at some point? right? If you're going to a lot of events, at what point do you get physically exhausted from going to all these events? And does it become more of a chore and work than it is that special occasion? And so what we do in general, we have to track where our expenses are going. So for instance, when we bring in a new client, we use a certain software where they're able to link all their credit cards and all their checking accounts. Because as you guys know, know, after getting a lot of after a while, you have three, four, five different credit cards, a couple different accounts with the bank, and it's hard to track everything. So what we do is we, we create their own personal financial website, and we link all their cards. And what's cool is is that this website actively tracks where their money goes. So, you know, I've got uh, one friend and client who's really good, and he actually tracks every single expense on a daily basis in his Excel spreadsheet. That's ridiculous, y'all. <laughs> that's not for me. You know, I, I, I don't know if that's sustainable for a lot of people. So when we're looking at tracking expenses, we really want to use technology to make our life easier because they can track it and categorize it for us. And then instead of spending 15 minutes a night uh, going through tracking expenses, we spend 15 minutes a month analyzing the results. So the first thing we do when we're bringing in a new client is we help them get organized and make everything clear by aggregating all their accounts in one place and and creating a budget for them and having the technology kind of categorize those budgets for them. So even though tracking expenses seems like a lot of work, if you use technology, it it can be rather easy. So an example of this, Susie and Frank, uh, you know, they got married a couple years back, so newlywed, came into my office, and um, they had separate finances, and we were working on combining their finances. And, and y'all, if you have separate finances and you're married, um, we need to chat, uh, not about finances, but about marriage in general, uh, because at some point, we have to combine finances. At some point, we got to realize that we were in this as a team or or you don't do that you don't have to combine the finances i just get worried about the effect on the marriage over the long haul if people have separate accounts and different credit cards and there's a lack of transparency and so um susie and frank came in the office and their finances were a bit of a mess i think susie had like three or four credit cards and frank had like five or six and they each had a couple different checkings and a couple different savings and what this did is this lack of transparency um, and, frankly, the lack of progress in their financial planning, it just led to a lot of bickering, a lot of bickering, a lot of finger pointing. And what we found is that each person was blaming the other for spending more money. Um, the husband thought the wife spent more money. The wife thought that the husband was accusing her when he spent a lot of money. And, you know, that's a pretty common uh, theme that we find is that, Each spouse thinks that the other spouse is spending money. And in general, it is unfairly, uh, you know, pointed typically from the husband to the wife in in a lot of scenarios 
where um, I think society, you know, at least we grew up with this idea that females spend more money than men. And of course, in some scenarios, that's probably that might be true. What I've found though is that it's not. With a lot of my clients, what we tend to find is yes, um, being a female it is more expensive than being a male in general. Um, the haircuts cost different. Men don't have to worry about their nails. There's just a lot of expenses that uh, females encounter. Um, we we can wear the same suit forever. They they you know they need different outfits typically. So um, in general, life as a female is more expensive and, and it's kind of a double whammy also studies have shown that they get paid less so you know if you're a female you really got to work on getting paid what you're worth from a revenue generation and also watching your expenses um so but anyways what i love is setting up these budgets and watching the faces um the husband's face as he realizes that the wife is not spending nearly as much as he thought that she was. And yes, there might be more smaller transactions throughout, um, little things here, little things there, but typically what I found, and by the way, guys, these are huge generalities, just my experience, but what we found is that when guys spend on something, it's an expensive something. Whether it is, in my case, I, I go shopping like twice a year, but I head up the Nordstrom annual sale and I go to town, y'all, and I, it's a big day. Or I buy a custom suit, which is not a cheap expense. So whereas my wife probably buys more clothes throughout the year, when I buy it, it's in, it's in bulk. Um, and, you know, typically some of the guy's toys can be a little bit more expensive, you know, whether it's uh, buying a gun or, or whatever it is that, um, you know, a, a guy buys, it, it might be less quantity than uh, the females, uh, but it's typically more expensive. So what I love is setting up this website and really diving through expenses and what the husband will see before long is that it's, it's much more even than what he originally anticipated. Right. So what we did here is we set up this website, we linked all their credit cards and everything, and um, we set up their budget so uh, so that they would know who was spending what. And what we also did is we kind of combined a couple of things. Number one, we combined all their accounts, all their bank accounts into two accounts. We had one checking and we had one savings. Okay. As a matter of fact, for this couple, they like to do some fun things. So we actually left one fun account for them. So just one account where they can spend it on anything that they wanted. Okay. So I would say overall, we took like six accounts and made it four accounts. We had one main checking. And in that main checking, every single dollar of income came in and every single expense left. Because that one checking was kind of our scale. For instance, if we started with $10,000, and they made $10,000 that month, and they spent 8,000 bucks, their checking account would go up by a couple of grand, right? They knew that they were doing good. They knew that, oh, I, I can open my you know bank app, and I can see, I can see where uh, our checking account is, and that'll tell me immediately how we are doing. Because if it's at eight grand, we ain't doing so hot. We need to really step it up here. If it's at 12 grand, we're doing great. We need to keep on doing what we're doing. So that's the first thing that we did. And then the second thing that we did is that we set up an automatic transfer into uh, their savings account. So remember I said they were 
you know, let's say that they were making 10000 and they were spending 8000 Well, that's $2,000 left over. Well, what we'll find is if we don't automatically transfer that money out, people tend to spend it. So what we do is we were automatically, uh, you know, transferring that money out into another account. So it was out of sight, out of mind. And they had to work within the um, work within the budget of $8,000 or so. All right. And then the last thing we did is we did keep two separate fund accounts that we would fund each month with, I think, 200 bucks or so, just so that they could go out and spend money without having the other one judging on that. Right. So that's step one is we've got to have a way to track and we got to really use technology as a way to track because I just think doing it manually is a bit unsustainable. Right. Step two, though is once you realize where your money's going, once you realize that your food budget is massively expensive, uh, once you realize how much you're spending on cable, uh, once you realize you know what you're spending on sporting events, we've got to ask this question. Are you getting out what you are putting in? Okay? So let me rephrase this. We spent, you know, once you look at your budget and where your money's going, I want you to ask this. We spent X amount of dollars on this fill-in-the-blank. We spent X amount of dollars on this event, on this dinner, on this food, on this trip, on this person. We spent X amount of dollars on this. Did I get X amount of value out of it? Okay. So for for instance, um, a lot of people are cutting cable. You know, cable is whatever it is a month. And a lot of people just aren't getting that value out of that. So that's a great example of, hey, I'm spending X amount of dollars on cable. Am I getting X amount of value out of it or am I just watching Netflix and Amazon Prime the entire time? And sports aren't even on, so I don't even need to watch sports. So, um, you know, that that's one area where a lot of people have said, hey, I'm not getting out what I'm putting into it. Let's, let's cut the cable, right? Another example is I sat down with a client uh, early on in my career and uh, she was in residency, so the cash flow wasn't really all that great. And they were kind of struggling month to month. And we sat down, we were doing a, a plan, and we it was pretty glaring where their money was going. They were um, season ticket holders to the local football team here in Atlanta, the Falcons. And they made a big to-do about going to every game and tailgating at every game. And they spent about six grand a year, 500 bucks a month on average, going towards the Falcons football. And so I started to approach it. And they stopped me right then and there. They stopped me right there in my tracks and said, hey, sorry, Alan, we're not going to hear this. That's what we do. We don't go on trips. We don't eat out. This is what we do for fun. And we really enjoy it. So we're going to have to find some savings in other areas because basically what the client was telling me is that we put six grand in and we're getting $12,000 of value out of it. And I said, okay, and we went about and we found other ways that we could cut the budget. So what's cool is, is that, you know, this question is going to be different for so many people. Um, When I'm looking at people's budgets, typically food's the largest one that we can actually actively cut. But some of my clients are avid foodies and Atlanta has some of the best restaurants in the world. And so they go and they, you know, that's what they do for fun. So, you know, step Step one, ask yourself for a raise. Step two, practice mindfulness and track your expenses. And then step three here, once you've tracked your expenses, ask yourself, hey, I'm putting X amount into this event, person, food, whatever it is. Am I getting that value out of it? 
hey, we're spending $6,000 on football season tickets. Are we getting that out of it? Yes, well, let's keep them. No, let's get rid of them. Hey, we're spending 100 bucks a month for cable. Are we actually watching cable? If no, let's drop it. Let's not just keep cable because we've always had cable. All right, we've got a luxury vehicle that we're spending 700 bucks a month on. It was really cool at first, but are we still getting the same amount of value from that luxury vehicle? How about the exorbitant amount of money on that penthouse condo that your apartment that you're renting? Yes, it was awesome at first, but you know we tend to get kind of used to things quickly. Are we still getting that much money in that we're putting out? Right. Now, what's cool? Each person's values a little bit differently. Every single person is going to answer that a little bit differently. That's why each budget has to be customized for you. All right, last step here, and it's pretty self-explanatory, is that we have to act. We have to act on, on what we say, you know, trimming the fat, right? So we, we talked about increasing revenue. We talked about tracking our expenses so that we're aware of where that's coming from, Second of all, we you know ask that question. Hey, we're putting X amount in. Are we getting X amount out? And if the answer is no, we have to trim the fat here. We have to take action. We've got to cut that cable. Uh, you know, we've got to stop going to all those events. We got to stop eating out all the time, right? Let's find areas where we are not getting the value out of it, and let's start cutting those expenses. And y'all, that doesn't mean. That we are going to save all those expenses. When we're talking about budgeting, we're realistically just talking about a reallocation of resources. And that reallocation of resources, yes, it can go towards savings and retirement and all that good stuff. But also, maybe we put more towards the stuff that you thoroughly enjoy. Maybe we put more towards uh, that sporting team and and you know put more towards playoff tickets to them. Maybe we put more towards eating out once a month and having a special occasion. Maybe we put more towards the budget uh, for traveling. So we travel more often, right? So it's really about making certain that your dollars and your expenses really reflect your values and your ideals and so that we can get you living your fullest life here. So, hey, in conclusion here, you know, the financial plan is simply a strategy to accomplish your life goals. And financial planning happens within that margin. And what we want to do is we want to try to increase that margin by driving revenue and limiting expenses. And it's just that simple, yet it's really that hard. And that's why, you know, just adding a little bit of accountability from a financial coach, from a financial planner, just from your spouses really helps you in the long run because it's not about starting power, it's about staying power. And it's not just by having one, two, or three good months. It's about having, you know, 25 to 30 good years here. So um, so anyways, hey, I hope that this was helpful today. That's all I've got for us today. Um, I hope you enjoyed some of the stories that we told and some of the tips that we gave. Make sure to let me know what you thought about this podcast and uh, talk to you here soon. This information is being provided for educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are those of Alan Franks. Alan Franks' views are not necessarily those of MML Investor Services, LLC, or its subsidiaries. William Allen Franks is a registered representative of and offers securities and investment advisory services through MML Investor Services, LLC, member SIPC. 
The Mill Financial Partners is not a subsidiary or affiliate of MML Investor Services LLC or its affiliated companies, and its OSJ can be found at 1050 Crown Point Parkway, Suite 1800, Atlanta, Georgia 30338, or reached at 770-551-3400.